1: Hello? This is the Britflix Fry Fest Preview Series 2019. The Britflix podcast comes absolutely free. So, can I ask a favour? I urge everyone to go over to my iTunes page, Stitcher page, SoundCloud page, or Spotify page, or whatever podcast medium you're using to listen and please rate and review us you can just rate us they all have star meters which can be clicked on in absolutely no time at all just click on it and you're done and it'd be really helpful trust me the higher the star meter the more reviews we get the more ratings we get the more the britflix.com podcast goes up the charts please 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 come on i'm begging you now everyone listening Go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or Spotify pages, type BritFlix.com podcast and rate us. And if you've got a little bit more time on your hands, why not review us as well? Just two or three words of praise will do the world of good. It's really simple and really quick. Now on with the show. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Frightfest 2019 preview series. My name's Stuart Wright and I've got two guests on the show today. Welcome to Britflix, Tony Dean Smith and Ryan Warren Smith. Hello.
2: Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us, Stuart.
1: It is my pleasure. It is my pleasure. It is. This is. This is kind of like in 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 horror terms. Um, Halloween's meant to be your Christmas, but mm-hmm. for me, it's the build up to fright fest because I, uh, you know, I think you 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 like the twenty third set of filmmakers I've spoken to. So I get to talk horror with lots of different people from all over as far as Argentina. And now I'm in the northwest point of uh, Canada, uh, you know, uh, sorry, the west point of Canada, you know, so it's like I've been all over the show. I was in, I was just locally in Derby the other day talking to a British Mm. filmmaker for a change. And it's like, what time zone are you in? And he goes, I'm in England. I'm like, oh, that's easy then. (laughs) So anyway. Merry
3: Christmas to you.
1: Indeed. Well, welcome to the show. And uh, we've not come to talk about my diary. Uh, we've come to talk about your movie, Volition, which is playing at Fright Fest. So does one of you want to take the floor and give people a brief synopsis as to what Volition is all about?
2: Go for it, don't. Sure, yeah, I'll go for it. Yeah, Volition is basically about um, the story of a, a young man uh, who is afflicted with clairvoyance. And so for us, it was not a superhero type of gift that this character had. It was more of a, an affliction, a sickness. Uh, when he was a little boy, when he was around seven years old, he had this kind of nightmare vision thing that he saw, which was his mom dying in a car crash. And he never knew what that was about or what it meant. But two months later, it happened exactly as he saw it. And so he basically grew up with this uh, ability to see things uh, in the future, but unable to change anything. Hmm. So he was sort of in this loop. He was in this this, this fixed uh, perceptual loop. And so because of that, he grew up kind of, a little bit apathetic because uh, things were just going to happen automatically. and But he also got into the world of petty crime and just a, a way to kind of make ends meet. And so our movie starts later on in his life, and he's lived his life of petty crime, a very sort of shallow, stuck existence. And he says yes to a deal that he really probably shouldn't say yes to, but he does. And then soon enough, and again, you've set up along the way that everything he has Visioned, envisioned, envisioned, Mm -hmm. does come true. All his clairvoyant visions come true. And then, sure enough, he has a vision uh, after he says yes to the deal, and it's of his own imminent murder. Somebody within his inner circle or somebody in our story is going to murder him. And it's about him basically going on the run with this beautiful woman that he's met. Um, And it's the first woman that he's actually sort of felt something for. Mm. He can't quite make out what he sees with her. And so it's all about fate and free will, and you know can he outrun um a certain death um, anything else right that i'm no yeah
3: that's that sounds like
2: it um it's we
3: we've we tried to keep it sort of a cerebral grounded science fiction film and mm. uh, yeah that's it
1: it's it's this, this is, we'll, we'll get into the uh, into twenty years in a minute, but just before we do um. There's a, there's a, I don't know if this is like, you know, like that weird thing about synchronicity that goes on. And this isn't to say it's exactly the same, but this morning before I watched your movie, I was listening to a, an episode of This American Life, the uh, the NPR show, and mm. they were talking about this phenomenon called highly superior autobiographical memory. Hi, Sam. Have you ever heard of this?
2: Uh, I have no. not. No.
1: It's well, phenomenal. No it's phenomenal, and it's basically the idea that you can never forget anything. So whereas you mm. and I sort of we make room for stuff and then we lose stuff, and these people never—they've got fifth There was a woman on it was talking about her memory of her parents pissing her off when she was five. It's still a grievance she carries every time she sees them because wow. she can't wow. shut her brain off. And I know that's not what your film's about, but it was just weird to have listened to a show about some weird function of the brain and then watch your film with this kind of, you know, almost like dead zone, yeah. dead zone clairvoyancy in, in, in the main yeah. character.
2: Well, we did talk about that in some fashions, you know, the, the kind of collective unconsciousness, and, you know, mm. is there is, you know, we see time and our experience through our eyes, but is there a collective idea of like, you know, the Earth's story and does, do some people get access to it mm. and why, you know, what is it that he's accessing and how does that happen? Um, well, look, we're and to, also we're
3: getting, how, in, how tormenting that would be for an individual. Right. You know, if you are, if you like you said, that person who still holds on to that grudge from when they were age five, um, if your mind works in a different way, it, it seems like a blessing, but it can also really be a curse.
1: Yeah, this is what she was saying. She was saying, because there's a script, she actually worked as a script supervisor. So she could remember eight weeks ago what color somebody's hair was and what tie they were wearing on a shoe, Because she never, loses. Wow. which is kind of <laughs> handy, isn't it?
0: Yeah. yeah true
1: <laughs> but she's but, tired yeah. but, she, but she can she'll she'll lay awake at night with these this head full of memories mm. that oh. just swim around and they just all they do is go more you don't you don't you don't stop getting memories do you
2: no no, no. it's true um, what's interesting so for us like you know James I mean James is like that he's got these these future memories I mm. suppose and they do torment him and keep him essentially chained to you know these train tracks of life and so you know just once again it's 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 a torment it's not something that's enjoyable for him at all
1: now before we get into details about where that idea comes from and the like um it's 20 years of fright Fest, so uh, i'm asking everyone that comes on the podcast to tell me their own memory from their own from their 20th year that springs to mind an event an occasion a meeting a decision they made whatever it is who wants to go first
2: well, I mean, I was thinking about it, but, uh, this is Tony again. You know, I actually, funnily enough, um, I'm about to date myself in some ways, but I, I graduated film school 20 years ago. Mm. And so for me, it was actually the beginning of uh, my my real pursuit into filmmaking. And perfectly timed, really, and again, just the synchronicity of it all, is the idea of Volition was born 20 years ago in film school. And I can clearly remember writing it, and it was It was different, it was campy, it was a short film, it was many things. Um, But I just remember also feeling that it just wasn't ready, that I wasn't ready to tell a grounded version of this and I didn't know how, and so it's just really, really kind of, I don't know, so there's some poetry in it that it's 20 years now, 20 years later, and we're with Fright Fest, and it's just such an honor to be at Fright Fest. Um, So that's it for me, you know, just sort of a 20-year capsule is kind of insane to think about with this movie. Yeah. That is wild, yeah.
3: yeah. Um, if for me, it was uh, uh, for my twentieth birthday. Uh, it's actually sort of film related in a way. I mean, I was I was just graduating. I was sort of close to graduating undergrad, and I was actually had a summer trip in Cannes, of all places, and the, nice. the festival I think had just happened or was happening around that time. And I was not working in film. I was, you know, interested in drama and theater and things like that. Um, but I was starting to write and I think I had a little quarter-life crisis in Cannes. I know I definitely Mm. did. And, um, my friends at the time, it was my birthday is in May. And, uh, so yeah, it was a quarter-life crisis and, uh, here I am years later and now I'm working in film. So it's great. (laughs) Still a crisis though. I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, look, you've, crisis. Totally, you've given you've given a, you've given us some insight there as to um, where where it started as a as an idea that became this film. So, in terms of this film being at Frankfest now, where do we pick up the story that is you and you and Ryan developing this film to make it into the film we're going to watch?
2: Right. So, I think around two thousand twelve. Um, mm. I had directed a music video with Adrian Glyn McMoran, who plays James in the film, who's our okay. protagonist. Mm-hmm. And it was a very um, grounded, edgy music video. And it was just, you know, about a character who was kind of beaten up internally by uh, breakups in his past, how love had beaten him down. And so within his mind, he was sort of seeing, you know, these these, these women of his past kind of um, hurting him. Hmm. Uh, So for whatever reason, that character of a wounded guy walking through the streets in a black shirt and just this actor, Adrian Glenn McMoran, he's so grounded and and raw Um, for the first time ever. The, the idea that I had in film school that I had put in the drawer popped up and I was like, Oh, what if it's not this like campy scientist who's going through this experiment or something like that? But it's, 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 it's a guy who's like roaming the streets who's, you know, down on his luck, et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of where it, finally popped into this grounded cerebral version of this film. And from then on, I did a quick first draft. Um, the movie was, it got some early funding, and it didn't end up getting made. And then Ryan and I, from that point on in two thousand, I think 2014, uh, completely rewrote everything. I mean, we just redesigned. We, we liked the character, we liked the concept, and we just rebuilt it uh, completely. I don't know if you want to add to that, Ryan, but that's just Yeah,
3: I mean, Tony was always was sharing his his drafts with me and I was always just really intrigued by the core kernel of the story which is I mean without I don't want to be too spoilery but just the exploration of clairvoyance and you know what it actually might be Mm. um which I just thought was a really novel uh concept and uh Tony and I had been collaborating on other scripts that that we've written together and then also on my own I was writing and so we just thought you know why don't we put our heads together and really try and crack this in a a unique way and um, little did we know that we were about to like embark on one of the hardest writing experiences we've ever gone through Um, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah here we are it's been on a
1: a, a very basic level then in terms of that writing experience and and so I guess more generally speaking what's what's the process you, you two go through to to make the co-writing work and develop a script you know who owns what how do you how do you how do you defend and argue what's right and wrong how do you make i guess how do you keep sharing the vision of wanting to make the best script you can
3: well i, I tend to sit on tony's lap and then <laughs> yeah. um i yeah. use the right hand tony's left yeah. hand
1: okay
2: yeah it's really <laughs> efficient yeah it's really, really who, efficient.
1: who's the right who's the right hand again <laughs> that would be uh, me. I'm the, I'm the, so you got oh, the. You're pre- the oh. oh, we've got yeah. it backwards already. I Look at that. I'm just, I'm just thinking <laughs> who got the return key. I said delete. <laughs>
3: That's right. That's
2: right. Good question.
3: Uh, no, I mean we, we basically, it's yeah. it's I think it's a. I know some writers that work in pairs will sit together at the keyboard all the way through and kind of uh pitch lines out together. Mm-hmm. Um, our process is a little different, where. Uh, we, in the beginning of the story, as we're breaking it, we, we spend a lot of time together um, really just talking through ideas and totally blue sky, free form brainstorming. Hmm. Um, and eventually, you know, we've talked about it enough that we start to get the shape of the story and um, we eventually create sort of a rough outline. Um, you want to go from there, Tom?
2: Yeah. So I mean, so we do that together and we kind of. Um, walk through the entire story and, you know, it's an outline. It's got all the major beats within there. And so we have this essential, this Bible that from then on, uh, we actually then just split the work down the middle and we basically rotate depending on what happened last. So Ryan will take the first half of the movie. I'll take the second half of the movie and we just go off and we write. Mm. And and then we actually come back and we share each other's sort of halves and we talk about that and then we rewrite each other's halves. And at this point... Ryan has blended into Tony, and Tony's blended into Ryan, and we have a very similar voice and outlook anyway. Mm. But there's certainly differences too, and so um, yeah, then the movie just really comes together in this uh, this unique way that is still whole. And even though it's been you know pushed and pulled by us in various ways, it's one thing, and mm. it sounds like both of us. And uh, we really can't tell at that point, you know, what came from where because it was all outlined. Mm. And yet, of course, there's great discoveries along the way that you cannot outline. And so that's the wonderful thing about, for example, Ryan off doing the first half. He'll come up with something that was not outlined, but it's related, too. And then it'll inspire something that I've done in the second half. And and again, vice versa, it just keeps on growing and evolving. And it's actually a really... And you find
3: these, these sort of happy accidents that happen. You just mm-hmm. like, you
2: sometimes there is a setup
3: that's in the first half that is kind of paid off in the second half unintentionally. And it's because, yeah. you know, we're both... Working in the same world with the same foundation, so mm. um, yeah, it's a cool process.
1: Now, now I've heard it said that the, the difference between real life and a screenplay is the screenplay has to make sense. Which, given the nature of your story about clairvoyancy, is kind of like almost like you've done a meta version of a script. You've got a character who knows his own manifest destiny, but but only in a sense of like like snatches and edited highlights. He doesn't. He doesn't right. know everything. But so there's kind of a, a weird meta script going on within the script, almost, because you're playing yeah. with a fictional idea. But obviously, the convincing thing for the audience is to believe that James is somehow in control. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like in the same way a writer is in control of getting from beginning to the end of a screenplay.
2: Yeah, it's true. I think, like, as writers, you know, you are also especially once you've outlined in a way that can very well be your, um, your manifest destiny, your, your predicted outcome. But mm. along the way, you kind of have to stay present. And that's actually James's real test. James is not present. He's in the future. He's in the past because he's stuck in memory mm. uh, or future or past memory in, in a sense. And so, yeah, it is actually quite meta where Ryan and I have to keep one eye on uh, the present and one eye on you know, the predicted outcome. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun.
1: I, I, I particularly liked. Uh, there was a line that that uh, I think it's Elliot that says it, um, and without the context, it kind of meaningless to the listener. But hopefully, you guys mm. can 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 get it because of what we're saying. Um, is the present is where is where we live, which is mm. a kind of obvious thing to say, but in the context of your film, it's it kind of it's kind of it's kind of scary because this idea that there's there's all the
2: presents. there's all the presents, then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like one yeah. of the, the trippier concepts of, you know, we just love, you know, the whole realm of clairvoyance and what it relates to, because mm. what it's essentially saying is that, you know, we are, we think we're the cutting edge of time, but if there's such a thing as clairvoyance, then clearly there's something, I mean, has it happened already? And if that's true, are we not, are we not present? Is it just our presence and there's another present out there? Um, I mean, Ryan and I have gone back and forth on this so many times, but in, in a way, it presupposes that there might be something ahead of us if clairvoyance exists, mm. and, um, and it's very Philip K. Dickian, and, certainly, to suggest that. But yeah, and I think if you're if you're living in that and with that awareness,
3: it would be very tempting to, you know, and it happens actually to all of us, even if we're not clairvoyant. We live in the future. We're always thinking about what will happen and how how's that going to happen, and and yeah. the tricky part is really. Even if you can't see what might happen or what is very likely to happen, uh, how can you still be like Zen in the moment? And and uh, really the present is where we live. Uh, And it sounds basic, but it's uh, it's it's tricky.
1: No, I think I think think James's character brings across the stress of knowing what's going to happen, because I guess one of the pleasures of living is having no fucking idea. Because, right. because if you knew what was ahead of you, and and obviously the, the the harrowing tale that you 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 say that sort of is rooted in in this 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 sort of gift and a curse, I suppose you'd call it, um, mm. is, is is predicting your mum's death and doing nothing about and being a doing nothing mm. about it because you didn't know it was a prediction, and b then living with the with the knowledge that you maybe could have done. I mean, they're too yeah. they're too big mm-hmm. pillars in your life, aren't they, to sort of have to carry on with. Um, mm-hmm. So. Um, what was my the point there um it in terms in terms of um you' you said you've already cast Adrian before um, mm-hmm. and developing his character how what were your conversations like with him because because emotionally he's in about fourteen different places sometimes
2: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah he is i mean he's such a um a a deep thinker and so you know he would come to us both um and sometimes, you know, on set when it was just me sort of on set with him, but he had this whole map that he'd drawn out in this book, this chart, this flow chart of where he was at emotionally because he had to track,
1: hmm.
2: again, without spoiling anything, he had to track sort of where he was emotionally. And
1: yeah,
2: just not just where he was, but like, you know, in a sense, because of his clairvoyance, which which version of himself in his fragmented sense of how he perceives time, whatever, I'm not going to give anything away there, but that's essentially hmm. what he's doing. Um so yeah, you know, he would, he would just kind of nail it. He would always kind of know where he was cause he'd done all his homework. And for Ryan and myself, he was just like the best guy to work with cause we had done the same kind of work overall with the script. And so he was just the greatest collaborator and someone who yeah. again, just wears his heart on his sleeve and is just very raw. And, um, you know, what we liked about, I think the character too. And that's why, you know, the idea that it's a clairvoyant who sees his own death. Um, by never being present in a way you've paralyzed yourself because you can only make choices and changes in the present moment. Yeah. And so for James, you know, the, the darkness that he sees, which is his own death, very much like all of us, what we realized through the making of this movie is that in a way it works as a metaphor of just being stuck through fear. You know, you're paralyzed because yeah. you kind of already know that, oh, that'll never work out. I'm not gonna write that screenplay, it'll never work out. Mm. That's essentially the same thing that James is doing. He's convinced himself of a belief, and this movie is going to push him through that belief by going through the very thing that he's the most scared of. Um, and so James and Adrian—sorry, Adrian—was very aware of that, as we discussed. Um, so,
1: and I think it's yeah. important. I and mean, I guess because because it is a very cerebral film in the sense of it it's it's sort of exploding James's mind in front of our very eyes. But it's worth yeah. add, it's worth adding that um, it's very much about. James be trying to stay ahead of a bunch of bad guys with guns who want to kill him. So there's yeah. there's there's a there's a huge driving force that, that, that gives this film a lot of a lot of natural energy which you'd you'd expect in any kind of genre thriller. Um, but at the same time you've got this kind of head fucking uh, uh, sort of sideshow to what would be a normal you've got my stuff, give me my stuff back, you owe me money kind of debate, which is kind of at the surface. Right. Um, Correct. But 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 all yeah. the while there's a, there's a dance going on which James thinks he knows who his partner is, mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in, if I, if I've got that metaphor right, uh, yeah. and then he he find, he, find, he finds himself dancing with multiple partners and and uh, not quite sure what song he's mm-hmm. dancing to. Um, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I just thought I should point out for the for the benefit of the listener, I'm doing my damnedest here to uh, to stay <laughs> to stay off spoiler by sort of being I guess over elaborate, but yeah, it, it, is, it is a wonderful. Um, experience to sort of get to the answer and res- and see it resolved as as, as it unfurls um when you when you were shooting the film um i'm guessing with locations and stuff and the, the non-linear aspect of, of shooting a movie obviously you'd focus on certain locations and, and the like so did, did, did was it easy enough for you to feel like you were getting what you wanted into the camera in terms of what the script required
2: um, easy, easy. No, <laughs> I mean, I think that it's, you know, the first thing we were battling with because of the nonlinear nature, nonlinear nature of certainly filmmaking, but in our film itself, yeah, uh, it's, it's moving around a little bit, mm. uh, but we needed everything to look the same consistently. And mm. so, you know, we were fighting against Vancouver's weather and it always like rains in June. It's, it's just insane, but it didn't rain for us. So that was unbelievable for our 18 days of principal photography. Right. um, but then yeah tracking you know the locations and where james was um was very difficult and in our nice tidy days became very messy longer days and you know we just had to be very conscientious of um knowing that if a scene was going to be you know there's the clairvoyant version of the scene then there's the scene when it actually happens You know, again, I'm also just keeping it a little loose here. Yeah. There's no dance. There's no actual dance sequence, but <laughs> as, as he discovers uh-huh. that there's more dance partners, um, we had to track that. Yeah. All of that is completely shot listed. Um, a lot of it was storyboarded, and of course, on the day you have to just improvise and and again stay present, make things up. Um, but it was yeah. a challenge. I think Ryan and I are still recovering both from the right, the rear. <laughs> I I, I actually
1: I must it. I must applaud you on on things that you hid in plain sight that I just didn't register mm. in the way that obviously once you begin to unravel it and you, you give me the answers, I'm like, fuck, it was there all the time. <laughs> um, and I'm thinking, you know, it turns like, say, the fight scene, uh, the first yeah, time you yeah. see the fight. It, it, it's, it's a fight. It's, he meets um, he meets Angela, and that's the, that's a bit of a key moment in the story. But there was a whole host of other things that I just didn't get, and then right. when you brought right. me back on myself, I was like, "What?" Um, it's really yeah,
2: interesting.
3: That, yeah, that, I mean, we yeah, go ahead, Ryan. No, that was just that was really the fun and the pain of of uh, creating this thing. Um, we would be we would surprise ourselves by things as well, and then you know the process of writing a script where you can actually, you know. You can go ahead and then go back, and go ahead and go back, and
2: so we're often doing like sort of the back and forth to yeah. make sure things are properly set up hmm. uh, for payoffs. And incredible just to look at how our brains work—that perceptually, you know, we really can't see everything in a given moment, and and yet the 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 answer, quote unquote, was always there. Hmm. And it's just really interesting, I think, how we function, and that yeah, the film kind of takes advantage of 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 that process that we we do to ourselves.
1: What what for what for you was your um, was was like a favorite memory from the shoot?
2: Um, so there's really so many. Yeah. Um,
1: it, it was
3: such
2: I, a it's such a blur, really. I mean, it was a,
3: yeah. a crazy
2: crazy eighteen days. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I think it's funny. You know, one of the moments is actually. I mean, there's so many filming moments that were so fantastic and and so moving uh, and exciting. Um, but one of the one of my favorite moments was actually uh, it was probably day 15 of 18 we'd had some super long nights our crew was just you know they might as well have like written the film with us they loved it so much they mm. wanted to work as hard as we did and and we brought out a cake uh, Ryan brought out a cake and we just gave thanks to the crew and the cast and we all just kind of got emotional and just thanking everyone for their effort and their their love you know in Vancouver there's a lot of movies that are shot here and they're not all you know kind of a, this, this ground operation that we were a really small, you know, indie film. And so we mm. really took to it. And I think that's what sticks out to me. Those, like that. Yeah. Kind of, I know, mean, those that, connections with those people. Yeah.
3: Really like we have to just give such a huge, huge shout out to our, our crew and to our cast. Cause yeah, no one was making this for, you know, the money. This was a passion project all the way through and I mean, people went above and beyond anything I could have ever imagined. Um, yeah. With, with, with no, no complaining. Not, everyone was happy. I mean, and I wouldn't say happy all the time because it was really hard. Um, but everyone was doing it from the right place, and uh, we really nothing. This could not have happened without these people. Um, just incredible.
1: How how do you um, how do you balance? The sort of the nature of the hat you got to wear when, obviously, when it's all hands to the pump, and obviously you two are the writers of it, you are the producers of it, but Tony, you're the director of it. So, given given the kind of um, hierarchical or regime, you know, almost like army like nature of a film crew, and the director being you know the person in charge, I guess before I ask Tony, so from, from Ryan's point of view, you're going to be seen as the producer to a lot of people uh how do you how do you balance your role and what people might want to say to you that doesn't disrupt what tony's trying to do as director?
3: yeah i mean we really did wear different hats on set Mm -hmm. um I, i just took on the full producer role for the actual physical production of things and you know um so i just took that full on and tony and i had already had so many creative discussions of you know what his plans were and things that we could collaborate on in terms of Ideas, but I, my goal was to have it function as smoothly from a production standpoint, so that Tony could be on set with the actors. Um, really, we did not have enough time to shoot anything. So, uh, the smoother the path could be for Tony to to work with the actors, the better. Hmm. And with Byron Cotman, our our DP. Um, and so I was, you know, I was often running around in the background, uh, like doing things from. Uh, making sure everyone's arriving on time and that the the location is not getting damaged and that we're actually getting access to the next location and moving cars. and I mean, playing every sort of production role you could play with the help of a very small team. Um, And, uh, yeah, I I don't know if anybody on set, I'm hoping that it it was fairly smooth on set, but I know that they obviously had their whole slew of massive problems because they had no time to shoot Mm. one of the most complicated He's out there. So, um, so but yeah, my, my goal was to protect Tony and, and make it smooth as possible. As yeah, no, it's, possible it's, I was fascinated
1: too. by those kind of dynamics because obviously, a uh, it's, it's that it's that it's just it's just the simple stuff, I suppose. And I guess when you've got such a small cast, it's maybe a bit easier to manage in terms of like what people people might go. Hey, Ryan, you know, I don't think I got the right. You know, I don't, I don't, I think I could do better in in that performance or whatever. <laughs> and you're thinking Tony's not mentioned anything. Uh, I reckon it'd be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so Tony, from your point of view, um working with Byron Cockman as your cinematographer. Um and I'm thinking more like the fact that obviously James is quite the hard boiled character and you can and the way that your story pans out, you could almost sort of make it you could think of your filming like as like a you know, as almost like a why or who done it. Um, in a sure. sense, in the same, you know, like a Raymond Chandler or a, a Dashiell Hammett sure. kind of, because he's very much the hardball character right from the very get-go. is you know, it's come, come yeah. on, it's your turn, hit me. You know, that's not the t- that's not a man who's backward or coming forward. So, um, that's right. what were your conversations with with Byron about the sort of look and feel you'd want to keep? And obviously, there's that idea of repetition and keeping the repetition interesting and but mm. also recognisable.
2: Yeah, I mean, we had talked a lot about. I guess really all coming from a character standpoint of Mm. keeping it grounded, keeping it feeling as, as, as earthy and gritty and, uh, uh, you know, as possible so that it could, it could feel like it was James's sweaty, uh, world. And Mm so those were our conversations. Um, you know, Byron comes from a background of, uh, both like, you know, uh, narrative cinema, but also documentary or sports music videos. So he, in the moment can, are really shape things very quickly and see things in in a in a really creative way. And him and I just had this creative love affair. You know, we just really saw eye to eye. And I'm a very like, specific visual director as far as like I, I do shot list and storyboard. So I know what I want. But mm. again, you also, you know, to stay present and to listen to your cinematographer for like, oh, what about this and this and this? Uh, it was just it was just the greatest. And And I got to say, you know, as far as what we were just talking about with Ryan. I mean, Ryan did just keep me in a complete bubble. Like, I wasn't aware of really any stresses at all on set. I knew our days were long. Mm-hmm. I knew that there was a lot to do. But we never felt like we were, you know, stressed or worried or anything. So I do have to to thank, you know, publicly Ryan, because he's so <laughs> much more, Not like you not know, like being a producer is not enough, but he's so creative. Like, he should really not be running around doing what he's doing you know Ryan and I are, are really sh- we're showrunners you know we're mm. basically this this was our baby and so I know going forward as well we're absolutely going to be directing together and for this one it just had to be this you know i mean I, I obviously do have a directing background but it just to get this done we just had to be kind of utilitarian and split it up in that hierarchy and you know just just do it and and then as the director i'm always just like the kubrick quote of being a taste filter i'm always just looking for the best idea mm. it doesn't have- doesn't have to come from me at all. Uh, in the end, it all just washes into the movie, and hopefully, the movie is just the best of the best ideas.
1: You know, I've been, I was it. fortunate enough to have Larry Smith on the podcast a while ago, who was Kubrick's DLP on I'm um, Wide sure and it's kind incredible. of incredible. And has, has kind of worked with him since he came on as a gaffer, I think, on Barry Lyndon. So he's he'd known him a long time. Wow. And, and And that quote about the filter thing is very true because. Because yeah. Kubrick had such like a, an all C and about what went on a film set, it wasn't about wanting to challenge those people whose right. who's, who's special results. He was just interested and enthusiastic. So he would exactly. apparently he yeah. would go into conversations, and 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 it would intimidate a lot of people because they'd be like, oh fuck, and they just things they would normally know yeah. they would just melt in his presence. And apparently that was one of the reasons because Larry's tried, Larry said that yeah. he 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 didn't really have him on the, on a pedestal like a lot of people did. By 1975, I guess is it Brian did mm. yeah. Around right about mm. the mid 70s, mm. and so he kind of just went toe to toe with him, and, and Kubrick liked that because he was willing to, yeah, disagree and agree. Um,
2: that, that's right, cool. yeah. I well, that's to, what we love too. I, like, I love a little bit of like I love lenses, I love sound, I love lighting, I love. So like Kubrick, you know, I've tried to. It's funny that you say that because in film school 20 years ago, just the symmetry of this all, hmm. 20 years ago it was eyes wide shut. Hmm. I watched Eyes Wide Shut last night. Oh right, 20, you know twenty years later. So talk about just the symmetry of it all with films <laughs> twenty years ago I tried best. <laughs> Kubrick, it's perfect. Um, but yeah, I've learned a lot from him. I mean, that's to me, that's the best way to be a director. You know, you just you're a collaborator and you are you're pulling from all your your fellow collaborators.
1: So. I suppose I suppose it's like the the, the, the quote, which is all directed is like eighty percent in the casting. Then I guess right. the rest of it is picking the right heads of department as well, because if you've got the right people, then you're all making the same film, aren't you? That's right. Um, yeah. Now I've, I've omitted to talk about the kind of the, the, the sort of key to, to James, what you would say is the key to sort of James's journey, which which feels like an accident but grows into something more significant, is the character of Angela. And I apologise to her if she's listening, because I can't pronounce her name, so I'll let you tell me what the actress's name is.
2: <laughs> yeah magda apinovich
1: apinovich okay cool i'm glad i should have said i should have asked you before we started but i forgot no uh problem. so where did you where did you uh get magda i mean looking at her weird weird it's not weird at all she's the she's seen the spit of uh jesse buckley who's in um god my mind's gone blank then who's in uh, the, a, a film called beast that came out last year she was in uh, wild oh, Rose. Really? Oh, okay. And she's the spit like that red hair, the sort of the, the sort of pretty smile. That sounds really tragic. Ah, uh, interesting. But yeah. but but it, but there was in the way that she performed. There was the similarities. It was something I noted when I was watching it. Uh, where where how, mm. where and sort of how did she come mm. into the movie in terms of casting? Is she someone you'd worked with before, like like with uh, with Adrian, mm. or is she someone you cast for the movie? Yeah.
2: <laughs> She was actually somebody that I I met uh, probably ten uh, maybe twelve years ago. I was a uh, a guest director at a film school, uh, coming in for a couple of days to do a workshop, mm. and and she was there as a student. And so I did this this sort of short film with her, and she was incredible. She just really really had that whatever that it factor is that mm. some people just have. She was just very present and raw and and emotional, and I just remember I just remembered her, and then when we were writing. Um, she just kept popping in my mind as somebody that was sort of like, um, uh, sort of like this wounded, you know, almost like the, the character from, from uh, True Romance, mm. this girl who just needed like love and and acceptance, and she was this you know this ro- this traveler who didn't have a home, and um, I just talked to Magda about it. We kind of approached her randomly saying, listen, we've got the script and, you know, would you be interested in looking at it? And she had done work at this point on, you know, Continuum and Kyle XY and, uh, and, uh, sorry, not Continuum, but Caprica, which is a Continuum offshoot. She was just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. She was just perfect, though. Um, And so we approached her and she loved the script and said yes and then sort of worked with us going forward.
1: Now, given the complexity of what we've 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 hinted at quite strongly of what you what you achieved with the film, um, what were what were some of the uh, discoveries you made in the edit that weren't that weren't apparent when you were writing the screenplay?
2: Oh, right. <laughs> Do You want to get my medication? Me...
1: <laughs> sure, yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, so, so Tony is uh, also an editor. Um, that sort of has been his, I guess day job or, we're working mm-hmm. for the number for many years now. Yeah. Um, a lot of red yeah. So, <laughs> so um, it, you know, I don't think anybody else could have edited this film except for Tony. Cause I mean, it, first of all, he's an incredibly skilled editor, but also because this is just such a, a puzzle of a mm. film. Yes, and, exactly. Um, yeah. 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 So, it, it was an amazing process uh, going through the edit because, you know, the film really did grow and change and shrink. Um, but, but tons yeah. of discoveries in the edit. So, I um, how was it for
2: you in the, in the black dark cave that you existed in for a year? Uh, yeah, it was, um, I mean, very difficult, you know, I'm actually a very fast editor and for this movie, I just, it was just like small chunks per day because what you were doing again, it's very much like the screenplay. What you're doing to one section is immediately affecting this other section of the movie, essentially, because you're dealing with presence and clairvoyance. And so it was very difficult and very challenging. And there were a lot of discoveries. There were a lot of things that we discovered that, you know, in we had never intentionally set up certain things.
1: Mm.
2: But because, because we had sort of told the story from this grounded place of, you know, this one truth of who James was, there were a lot of things that actually lined up. Yeah, we never can you, can, you, can you give
1: an example to illustrate?
2: I'm trying to think of one that is clean, that doesn't have um, some spoilers attached to it. Um, I can say like one thing, because uh, again, there's just so much spoilers attached to um, as the movie as it goes. Yeah. But there's one thing at the beginning of the movie, for example, like we had very like a few different openings of the movie.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, do we want to open the movie with um, a sense of what his you know, movies have a, book, a bookend nature. Certainly sometimes a crime movie will start off with, like, you know, everyone's dead on the ground, and then narration comes into, like, and how did this happen? How did it come to be? We had a version of that at the beginning, hmm. and then we realized that if we just stayed present with James and sort of cut certain things out, a lot of things would pay off more later. Um, yeah. This is so vague without specifics. I'm so sorry.
1: No, no, that's cool. <laughs> no, that works. No, because that makes sense, because what you're saying is, is that, you, you, the, 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 and it's the nature of writing, isn't it? We want to explain ourselves on the page because we, we don't want people to feel daft when they read it. But then, when you begin to see yeah. it on screen, our minds and our eyes fill in so many more gaps, don't they? That yes. you go, I don't need all that.
2: That's right. So, in and a sense, exactly. can,
1: can you give it? I mean, just in terms of scale, then, uh, when you did that assembly edit, as it were, of the whole thing, how how how, yeah. how big was it before you got it to ninety five minutes?
2: Uh, it was. Two hours and 15 minutes.
1: Yeah. So
2: we cut out, what, 45 minutes? Jeez. Um, uh, and it was, I mean, there's it. things that we really missed. Like, we love that, you know, we'll be on, on the Blu-ray eventually. Yeah. Um, but it just, you know, you got you to gotta protect the movie. And it comes down to the same thing with us as sort of writers, directors. Um, it's all about the story. It doesn't mm. matter where the idea comes from or whose ego you're protecting. Or mm. a beautiful scene that I shot that I love – it doesn't matter. It's just got to be about protecting this character, their journey, and the experience and for the audience. Of, some of the, uh, actors had just incredible performances
3: in, in sequences and scenes that by the time we started really tightening things up, we, you know, we, as much as we wanted to keep in a, you know, an extended scene, uh, because it was beautifully acted and beautifully shot. Um, it just wasn't right for the story. And so those were really hard things to say goodbye to, but, uh, yeah, because
1: I was going to say because as I was, I've only seen the finished the finish, the finish thing, but it it, 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 what do you call it? it? Gallops along at a pace, and at the same time, that pace is fragmenting in front of your eyes. Mm-hmm. So you, you kind of right. as a like this is terrible because I'm on a podcast and I'm moving my hands like a, like somebody <laughs> <laughs> trying to catch water. Um, but like, but that's kind of what happened. You're, you're you're definitely in James's shoes, and it feels like it's thundering along. But at the same time, it's splintering as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. I really enjoyed that aspect. Yeah. Now, I might be reading too much into this, but, but, but hear me out. Uh, as it might, it might have been something, but it might just be me. Mm-hmm. Um, James's apartment is a beautiful, from what I could see from the way you shot it, is a beautiful shape. And it's almost like, because there's, there's, there's in at the front, out of the back kind of thing, which makes it feel like it's a tunnel. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of looking, you know, through you know through a bloody uh, what do you call it? a telescope type thing, like his, yeah. his 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 apartment almost becomes like <laughs> a kind of pivot for the film, you know. Mm-hmm. So sort of, you know, you've got what's outside the front door, and you've got what's out the back, and obviously that's where the stories go, don't they? Uh, am yeah, I read, it's, have it's I read, have I read have I read too much into this?
2: <laughs> well, no. I mean, I think you're true, and I think again it speaks to. Probably, I mean I never thought about it that way but but you're right I mean I think like again because the film is grounded in us trying to just stay true to the moment mm. um, we've built things subconsciously without even realising it and uh, you're right that is the kind of the funnel that you know that spits James out into the adventure
1: in yeah because it's almost like to go uh, back out uh, the front door would be going would almost be like the equivalent of going back in time so the idea of coming right. in his flat and popping out the back is like what the fuck's out there <laughs>
3: It's right i mean it's it's an amazing process this this creative process because you you end up unintentionally creating metaphors mm. because yeah. you're playing you're playing in a world where you're sticking so true to um a certain theme or a certain central core idea yeah. that suddenly the whole world starts to coalesce around that idea
2: even if you don't realize it so yeah that's a great it's a great point
1: cool well look let's tell people when they can see your film at Frightfest.
2: Well, thank you. We are actually playing on August 24th, which is a Saturday, I believe. It's going to be at 11.10 p.m. And it's going to be in Leicester Square at the Cineworld. And I believe it's on the Discovery screen.
1: Like a true professional there, Tony. I'll tell nobody that we're here. That I'll tell nobody. Um... No
3: rehearsal at all. <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> well, look, thanks very much for giving us <laughs> your time on the podcast.
3: Thank you, Stuart. Uh, thank you it's so a pleasure. Much, Stuart. It's been amazing. And also, I should just mention that if people want to... Uh, Follow us, we're on Facebook at Volition the Movie, um, also Instagram at volition the movie and Twitter volition underscore movie. So yeah, we'd love
2: we'd love to connect.
1: Well if you if you if you send me those through, I'll make sure they go in the show notes too.
2: Fantastic. Amazing. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks, thanks for everything so much you for your do. We love the enthusiasm enthusiasm with the films. So just keep up the great work, Stuart. Really appreciate it.
1: The Britflix Podcast is provided absolutely free. If you wanna help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review iTunes, or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of The Composers TV.
0: Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music?